We're going to be in two passages of Scripture. We're going to start in the book of Exodus, and uh, we'll be in Exodus chapter 12 a little bit. And then we will also, before we're done, go to the book of Hebrews in chapter number 11. I want to thank you for coming. I want to thank the church for the nice hotel we're staying in and food we've been enjoying. been enjoying a little fellowship with the pastor and his wife and little Lawrence. Amen. And uh, he's a blessing. And they all are. But, you know, I'm grandpa age, so papa, so that little one impresses me. Amen. And then thank you for your kindness. I've been enjoying that piano playing, too, our sister's been doing. That was a blessing. Exodus chapter 12, if you'd like to stand, we'll read a little bit of Scripture here in Exodus chapter number 12. If you have your Bible open and could follow along, that'd be good. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth month or tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it, according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. They shall eat the flesh in that night roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. Ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hands. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover." For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Let's pray a moment. Father, we want to tell you tonight that we love you. We're thankful that you loved us first. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, to love you more. Love you like we ought to. Like you're deserving of being loved. And I pray tonight, Lord, you'll help us in the preaching. We need your help. We need your power. And I pray, Lord, you give me clarity of thought. Help me to say only the words you'd want me to say, and help me to say them in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I pray you get glory to yourself. And Lord, if there's one here tonight lost without God, I pray you'd bring them under Holy Ghost conviction, 
Hang them out over hell tonight. Show them the judgment of God is real, but that the mercy of God is also real. And I pray they'll repent and believe. And then I pray for Christians, Lord, that you would encourage us to make a difference in this world for the cause of Christ. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We will go to Hebrews 11 in a little while. But I want us to get in our minds the picture that we find here in Exodus chapter 12. In Hebrews 11, we'll read about a man named Moses. The Bible will tell us several things about him. It will tell us that he kept the Passover, which is what we've read about the instructions here in this passage. Israel has been in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. They have been those who believed the Bible, those who remembered God's promise to Abraham. They have been looking for a deliverer. That deliverer has finally come. In Exodus chapter 3, God has appeared to Moses in a burning bush, in the midst of the bush. And he said, uh, I have surely, I have surely seen or I have heard the cry of my people. I've seen their affliction. He said, I know their sorrows and I am come down to deliver them. And he said, come now and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. And so he sends Moses to be the deliverer of Israel. And when Moses goes to Pharaoh and tells him that he is to let Israel go, Pharaoh, the Bible says it, says it in two ways. It says, first of all, that Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. It also says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Some people have difficulty with that and have trouble with it. I don't have any trouble with it because it's in the Bible. But if you harden your heart against God, if you make up your mind you're not going to serve God, God will let your heart get hardened and there will be judgment. And you can get so hard even as a Christian. Paul said, I keep my body and bring it under uh, subjection. He said, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become a castaway. Peter said, there were those who had forgotten they were purged from their old sin. And it is possible to get so hard you could forget forget what God has done for you. God help us that none of us would ever get that hard, that our heart would never get that hard. The Bible talks about being careful lest our hearts be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I like what Job said. You know, none of this in the message. I'm just sort of ad-libbing here, but God's leading me off this direction. I like what Job said. Job said, He maketh my heart soft. That's what we need. We need a soft heart. David said it was good for me to be afflicted. Why? Because affliction will soften that hardened heart. But Pharaoh hardens his heart, and so God brings in Egypt a series of judgments upon the land of Egypt. I was studying those judgments one day and thinking about what God said about them. And it's very interesting, not every time, but most of the time, the majority of time, when God is speaking to Moses about these judgments, He calls them signs and wonders. But the majority of the time when He speaks, has Moses speak to Is or Egypt about them, or God makes reference to Egypt, He calls them plagues. That's the way it is with you and I, you and I that know the Lord. We look at the things He does as signs 
signs and wonders. But a lost world looks at anything God does and calls it a plague. They don't want God to have anything to do with their life. So we come here to Exodus 12, and God has been bringing a judgment or a series of nine so far plagues, judgments upon Egypt. Now, I want you to think about the condition that this nation must be in after these judgments. The first judgment, Moses goes down and he turns the water of the Nile River into blood. The Bible said that the river stank. When, when a little mother of Egypt would go down to the river to get some uh, water to wash her clothes, all there is is blood in the river. You can't drink it. You can't use it. All of the water has turned to blood. Can you imagine what it would be like if all the rivers that flow through Knoxville were suddenly turned to blood and it stank? And the Bible said they had to dig around the banks of the river to try and find blood. And when he did that, then the, then the uh, sorcerers of Egypt were also able to turn water into blood. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Then the Bible said that there was a plague of frogs. Those frogs came up. They came up out of the river. The Bible said those frogs were in their bedrooms, in their beds, and in their kitchens. Think about it. You get up in the morning to bake some bread and open up. That little, uh, that little oven as they would have those days, the brick ovens where they would bake their bread. And when you opened it up, it's full of frogs, full of reptiles. When you crawl into your bed at night, there's something cold nudging up against your feet and against your legs. Uh, you wake up in the middle of the night with a frog crawling across your forehead. Uh, they're everywhere. They'll be in your food. They'll be in your clothing. Everywhere you go, there's frogs. God brought them up. But Pharaoh still hardened his heart. The the magicians of Egypt were able also to bring up the frogs. Then there was the plague of lice. They took the dust of, of the desert and threw it in the air, and suddenly all that dust became lice. Lice on man, lice on beasts. If it wasn't enough, the frogs crawling in the house, now you're itching everywhere. Lice in your hair and in your children's hair. And everywhere you go, lice and the uncleanness and the disease of it. It's interesting that the magicians of Egypt could not make lice. I've often wondered, and I was thinking one day, there, when you take dust that is dead and turn it into lice, which is alive, what you've done is turn death into life. The devil cannot do that. He can turn life into death, but he cannot turn death into life. Only God can do that. Then there was the plague of flies. The Bible said those flies came up in the land of Egypt. They were not in Goshen where Israel was. God said, I put a difference between the land of Israel, between my people and the Egyptians. Those flies came up. Now you've had frogs. Now you've had lice. Those frogs, when they died, they piled them up. You have the stench of the river. You have the stench of the frogs. And now you have flies everywhere. Uh, it's always a fight. It is all. It has been an, a seemingly an eternal and perpetual fight to get rid of flies. Have you ever noticed it? I'd sit down sometime to eat, and there'll be a fly crawling. Now, it wouldn't be so bad. It's not that I have something against flies. It's just when they're crawling on my food, I wonder where they were crawling before they were crawling on my food. Flies everywhere. Then there is the plague of murrain. 
is a grievous attack upon all the cattle of, his, of Egypt, and all the cattle die. Every man who made his living in cattle, every man, his corrals were filled with dead animals, his barns filled with dead cattle everywhere. Following that grievous murrain was the plague of boils. Boils upon the skin of the man and whatever men and whatever livestock were left. You remember Job in the book of Job sitting down in the ashes and scraping the, his boils with the pot shirt. Here are men, women, boys and girls. All of the animals left in the land of Egypt are suffering with the boils. And then there is the plague of hail. Now God warns them about this plague. That hail is so large that man or beast that stands outside will die. The only way to live is to go inside. And so now, whoever would not believe, whoever would not take the warning of God, dies outside. Then comes the plague of locusts. Now, not all of the harvest of Egypt was in when the plague of hail came. What was in was destroyed. What came in later was destroyed by the plague of locusts. As a matter of fact, listen to me now. Here's what the Bible said. After that plague of locusts came through, the Bible said there was no green thing left in Egypt. No, every tree, every bush, every green thing is dead and destroyed, eaten up by the locusts. When the plague of locusts is over, there is a plague of darkness, so dark that it can be felt. Some years ago, we were traveling and we, we went by a little place called the Dixie Caverns. They named them the Dixie Caverns because a little dog named Dixie was out with the, the two owners, the owners of the dog, and suddenly the dog yelped and disappeared. And they went looking and found that it had fallen down in a hole and they discovered these caverns. So they named them the Dixie Caverns. And you can go down in there and take a tour. And so we happened to have a little extra time. And so we went down and toured in there. And while we were down there, they turned off the lights. And I'm telling you, you talk about darkness. I held my hand in front of my face and could not see it. That's the kind of darkness there is now in Egypt. For three days, darkness, the Bible said, so thick it can be felt. Now, Egypt is on its knees. Egypt is nearly destroyed. But the worst plague is yet to come. God sends Moses, and He tells them to tell Israel to take the Lamb Slay the lamb and take the blood and put it on the lintels and on the doorposts. And God said, I'll come through at midnight. And He said, I will smite the firstborn in Egypt. Now, I want you to think about it a moment. The very first thing we see when we come to this last plague is there is a great cry. The Bible says that there was a great cry among the Egyptians. In Exodus chapter 12, And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. 
And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants. Now listen to this. And all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where there was not one dead. If we were to show up in Egypt about midnight on that day, that Passover night, and it's silent, and I don't imagine there's a lot of movement around about midnight, and people are trying to recover from all the things that have gone on, and maybe somebody has said during the day, well, maybe it's over, maybe it's about finished, maybe we won't have to go through anymore, maybe there won't be any more darkness, maybe there won't be any hail. Well, that hail, the Bible said, came down, and there was lightning that ran along the ground as the hail came down, and maybe there's a silence, and maybe even a little sigh of relief. But at midnight, suddenly I could see a woman come running out of her little home there in Egypt, crying and wailing and screaming and saying, He's dead! He's dead! Oh no, He's dead! And before she can finish her screaming, another one comes out with a great cry and says, Oh, my son, my firstborn son is dead! Some of these that have died, these firstborn, some of them are the firstborn. Imagine a young family, their firstborn child, and suddenly they've been enjoying that little baby and enjoying that little child, and suddenly at the stroke of midnight, that child is dead. All the life is gone out of him. No breath in his body. Can you imagine the crying and the sorrow? The firstborn of every family. The Bible said, not a house that was not touched. I want to remind you of something. We're living in a day when it is fashionable to preach only about the love of God, something good is going to happen to you. But I want to remind you that God is a God of justice and a God of judgment, and God is not mocked. And in those days in Egypt when they mocked God, when Pharaoh said, okay, I'll let him go, and then he said, no, I won't let him go, mocking God with his yeses and his noes, and God said, enough, I've had enough. And in every house of Egypt... There's wailing and crying and weeping over death. Could you imagine it today? The firstborn of every family. Suddenly, the life taken. There's a great cry in Egypt. But not only was there a great cry in Egypt, there was a great covering in Israel. God says something interesting about Israel. He says in Exodus 11, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. You say, Preacher, why would the Israelites say it? Because of the blood. 
Because of that lamb. You know who that lamb is a picture of? You know what that lamb is a type of? That lamb is a picture and a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. One day John pointed his finger at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I remember the Bible tells us over in the book of Revelation that when John was able to look into heaven, he saw, he looked toward the throne and he saw in the midst a lamb. There stood a lamb as it had been slain. Uh, brother brother uh, Rudy Smith was preaching the other night. I never had thought of it. But he said this. He said, there's something awful unusual about this. He said, there stood a lamb as it had been slain. He said, slain lambs don't stand up. They lay down. But he said, unless somebody rose or somehow that slain lamb rose from the dead, that's the only way he could be standing. It's a picture of Christ who died, shed his blood, and was buried on the third day, rose again to keep us safe from the judgment of God. The Bible said that Israel was comforted. They were in there eating that, lamb, eating that lamb and ready to go, prepared for the exodus, prepared for their liberty because the blood had been shed. If you read your Bible, that blood of Christ, of which this lamb is a picture, it provides life. It provides redemption. It provides justification. It provides cleansing. It provides restoration. It provides boldness to enter in the holiest. It provides sanctification. It provides peace, having made peace through the blood of His cross. The only thing that will keep you from the judgment of God is to get washed in the blood of Christ. So we have a great cry on the one hand. Now listen to me. We have a great cry on the one hand, those that are dying under the judgment of God. And we have a great covering on the other hand, those that are safe because they're covered by the blood. But I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to look with me in Hebrews 11 because I have noticed something in verse 28 that I never noticed before. And I believe it's very important. Hebrews 11 and verse 28. Beginning in verse 23, we've been talking about Moses. But in verse 28, still speaking of Moses, I want you to watch the wording. Through faith, He, did you see it there? Not they. Through faith, He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest He that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now, it would seem to me that the Bible ought to say, through faith, they kept the Passover because they did. But God didn't say that. God said, through faith, He kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest He that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Through faith, He now listen to me. Here is one man. Over here we have a nation under judgment, dying under the judgment, judging hand of God. Over here we have a nation living 
because of the covering of the blood. But what made the difference was the confidence of one man, Moses. You see, Moses has believed God. He has put his confidence in the Word of God. And so when the Hebrew writer tells us that the he that destroyed the firstborn did not touch them, he said, here's why. Through faith he kept the Passover. I don't think any words in our Bible are there by error or accident or mistake. So apparently God wants us to think about Moses as the difference maker between death and life. Now I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, just one man? Just one man made the difference in all of this? Just one fella? Just the faith of one person saved a whole nation from the judgment of God. Here's the way we think. We think I'm just one and I can't do much. Sometimes we think of it this way. Sometimes we think I've made too many mistakes and certainly God can't use me. Did Moses ever make any mistakes? I thought about it one day at the beginning of his life when he was 40 years old, when he went out to visit his brother. And you remember what the Bible said happened? He saw an Egyptian smiting an Israelite and he smote him and killed him. He got ahead of God. You ever get ahead of God? Then he went on the backside of the desert 40 years and God appeared to him in that bush as a flame burning out of the midst of the bush. And God said, come now, I'll send thee to uh, Egypt. And Moses said, uh, I'm slow of speech. I don't speak well. Now he's behind God. He don't want to catch up. And then at the waters of Meribah, God said, Speak to the rock. And Moses lost his temper and smote the rock. So I would say he put himself above God that time. So here is a man who is not perfect. He's been ahead of God. He's been behind God. At least once in his ministry, he's been put himself above God. And yet the Hebrew writer said, through faith, he kept the Passover, reminding us that this is this man who has failed at times along the way. And yet his faith is enough that he will believe the Word of God and will keep the Passover. And his faith was enough to stand between the living and the dead. You say, well, preacher, I've made a few mistakes. Well, thank God for mercy and thank God for grace. Just have enough faith to believe God and make a difference in this lost and dying world. The other thing I thought about Moses was when he kept the Passover, he was not a young man. Forty years he lived in Pharaoh's household. Forty years he lived on the backside of the desert. So he's 80 years old. 
I understand that time, uh, the body was a little bit different in that day. I don't know exactly why, but I do know I have some ideas, but I wouldn't be too, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fuss with you about it. But, uh, men lived longer in those days than they do today, and I understand that. And I also understand the Bible said when Moses died, I think at 120, that his natural force was not abated. He was still as strong as he's ever been. I understand that. But sometimes people will say, preacher, I'm too old to make a difference. Moses was eight when he kept the Passover. You can make a difference. You can make a difference when you're young. You can make a difference when you're middle-aged. You can make a difference when you're old. You can make a difference if you will just put your faith in God. Here is a man who had enough confidence in God to be obedient at the Passover, not only at the Passover, but in many areas of his life. But at the Passover, he's obedient to God, and he stood between the living and the dead by faith he. You know what I think God's looking for? I think He's looking for one person who would just sell out. One person. You read about the Great Welsh Revival. There were teenagers. There was a teenage girl who got on fire for God and sold out to God. And God sent Holy Ghost Revival. There's no telling what God would do if there'd be one person like Moses who'd say, that's it, Lord. I'm going to believe you. You say, well, preacher, I don't have this and I don't do... You know, that's what Moses said. I don't speak well. I don't speak well, Lord. But God, God wanted to use Moses just like he was and have him be that one, that one, just be that one. You say, preacher, can one person make a difference? Joseph did. Joseph was one. He made a difference. What about that little maid who said to Naaman, Oh, that my master were with the prophet that's in Israel. He could help thee. That one little maid. What about Gideon? Just one. What about Esther? Just one in the palace. What about Nehemiah? Just one with a burden on his heart. What about Mary? Just one who lived a pure life and said, Be it unto thee, uh, 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 unto thy handmaid. He says, she said, I'll do what you want. What about that little lad that gave his lunch and Jesus fed the 5,000? What about Paul? He said, uh, Demas hath forsaken me. He was just one, but what a difference that one made. I wonder what a difference you could make. If you just say, I'll have confidence in God, I'll just believe Him. I'll believe Him that He can use my testimony. I'll believe Him to use my life. And I'll just, I'll be that one. Doesn't matter if anybody else serves. It doesn't matter if anybody else is going to say yes to God. I'll be that one. You could be that one standing between the living and the dead. You could be that one that makes a difference in somebody's life, whether their life will end up under a great cry of anguish as they drop into hell, or whether their life will end up covered by the blood of Christ and spend eternity in heaven. You could be that one. God's looking for a one. Many, many years ago, a young couple named David and Sevilla Flood in Sweden felt the call of God, answered the call of God to become missionaries to what was at that time the Belgian Congo. They went to the Belgian Congo with another couple, the Ericsons. They set up housekeeping. They had a particular village that they wanted to reach with the gospel. They set up, built them a little house there. But when they got there, 
the Ericsons live several miles away, going to work with another village, and the flood's going to work with this village. When they got there, the, the chief of the village refused to let them have any contact with anybody in the village. It was illegal for them. So they couldn't talk to anybody. They couldn't go into the village and go soul winning. They couldn't hold a Bible study. They couldn't do anything. So they just stayed and waited on God. And one day the chief got nervous about the white missionaries living out there by themselves. And so he decided he didn't want anything to happen to them. And so he he, he appointed one little boy who could go to their hut once a week and make sure they had food and water and that they were well so that nothing would happen to them. So once a week that little boy would visit that cottage. And that was the only contact they were allowed to have with the people they'd come to witness to. Well, every time that little boy would come, Sevilla Flood would talk to him about Jesus. Then one day, she discovered she is with child. And when the baby came, Sevilla Flood died in childbirth. Her husband David got angry with God. He took the little girl that he had named Ana. And he took her to the Ericsons and gave her to them. And he left the field. And he went back to the United States. He, he had come from Sweden, but he went to the United States. And he just quit on God. The Ericsons later on, because of their health, had to leave the field. And they moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And there in Minneapolis, little Ana, they renamed her and called her Aggie. Agatha, Aggie for short. And she grew up there and she met a young man who was a a Christian and called to preach and interested in missions and they fell in love and they got married. One day Aggie was looking through a Swedish magazine that had come in the mail by mistake. She couldn't read any of of the language, but she knew that was her heritage. And as she turned the magazine and turned the page, suddenly there on the page was a picture of a white cross. And on the white cross it said, Sevilla Flood. She couldn't read the caption under it. So she found somebody that could read the language. And when they read the language under the picture, it began to tell about the most famous woman in the Belgian Congo, Sevilla Flood, who had led a little boy to Christ. And that little boy had gone home and led his parents to Christ. And they had led their neighbors to Christ. And the whole village had become saved. And the chief had gotten saved. And they had a church there. And it was all about her mother. Sometime later, she began to research it and get in touch with people. And she was invited, her and her husband were invited to come to a missionary, a a, a missions conference, a large conference where a man from, I think it's called Zaire now, I think is what it's called. But at that time was the Belgian Congo. I'm not sure of that, but I believe that's what it is. And he was to get up and speak. And he got up and he preached. And he told about in that year there were 110,000 converts, 110,000 
seven baptisms they had had that year in that country. And when he got done preaching, he come down off the platform and Aggie met him there and began to talk to him. And she said, did you know my mother? My mother's name was Sevilla Flood. He said, young lady, your mother's the most famous woman in the Belgian Congo. He said, I was the little boy that went every week and talked to your mother. And she led me to Christ. And now I'm preaching and people are being saved. You say, preacher, I'm just one. Well, Sevilla Flood was just one. And that little boy was just one. And Moses was just one. I'm telling you, God can do something with somebody who will say, I'll be the one. I'll be the one. Would you be the one tonight? Would you say, Lord, I don't know how you can use me. I don't know what you can do with me. But here I am. Do with me what you will. And I'll tell you what God will do. If you mean business with Him, He'll stand you right between the living and the dead. And He'll let you make a difference with your life if you're willing. I wonder if you'd be the one tonight.